you know, last week I said that uh, we'd keep these uh, services uh, shorter in the summer, um, as everybody looks at the clock. Um, <laughs> the only problem with that is you. <laughs> and it's a beautiful problem. Like, I love, you know, I will never, if, if um, you know, someone has their hand up and wants to share, I will never shut that down. Because people are sharing, that's the body of Christ. That's what church is all about. Church is not about coming and sitting and looking forward. And it's about worshiping together, but about being a spiritual family where we carry our burdens to, uh, to the Lord together and where we pick one another up and we speak truth into to people's life. What Anne was sharing with Mallory, like that was uh, phenomenal. Like th- that's, that's the church. That's what we need because life beats us up. And, and there's also highs and there's, we need to share those. But like we need this. The world needs this. This is what the church was supposed to be, and this is what the church is, and I love seeing this. And, and last week, uh, as I shared just an update about Restoration Church, like this is us to, uh, to a core. You know, we are all about uh, being a family together being on mission together. Uh, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord would send out, um, raise up more laborers. And I look at all of you and I'm like, these are laborers here in this room. And I get excited because you guys are being activated and you're going out. But also as we labor, we get tired and we need to come together and just be reminded of why we do what we do and to pray for one another that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit to go back out again. And this week we were having a, a finance meeting and uh, we were just kind of reflecting on uh, last Sunday and uh, I got to give credit to where credit is due because as I was sharing uh, last Sunday, uh, Kevin Karsten took it all in and he just uh, had a little picture. He had, a, he had a, a sentence and I'm like, wow, you said a lot in that one sentence. Uh, it was so powerful. It just summarized what I was sharing. And I want to put this little uh, picture up on the, uh, the screen because I believe this communicates who we are as a body. You guys know those little teasers that uh, kids have. Do you know what that means? Anybody have an idea? People over place. That we, he, Kevin said that we are a body, we are a people, that it's all about people over place. We want to see people encounter the love of Jesus. It's not about where we worship, we can worship anywhere. We've shown that over the last couple of years. It's about people encountering the love of Jesus. And I love that this was a reminder of that this morning, that it's all about people over place, over our agendas, trying to be present to what the Lord is doing uh, in our midst and leading people into encounter with Jesus. And so I love that. It's all about people over place. And so this summer, what I want to do is really just ask a question and ask it repeatedly. As we evaluate our lives right now as followers of Jesus, how is your heart? How is your heart? I never want to get to the place where we just go through the motions. And if you ever see me going through the motions, I invite you to call me out. I never want to be a follower of Jesus who just is like, okay, I do this on a Sunday, I do this on a Monday, I just go through things. I want to be somebody, and I want all of us to be somebody whose hearts are constantly soft to the Lord, who our hearts aren't being hardened and being disobedient, but that we're open to whatever the Lord would have for us. I'm constantly challenged by these words of Jesus in Matthew 15, and they're up on the screen. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, and he's looking at people, and there's a question that they're asking the disciples, like, why don't you wash your hands? Washing your hands is a good thing. You don't want to pass diseases, and they weren't washing according to the customs, the religious customs. And the Pharisees were like, to Jesus, like, why, why aren't your disciples doing this? Why aren't they going through these motions? And Jesus, quoting from Isaiah, said this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, 
for they teach man-made ideas as commandment, commands from God. And that opening line, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Is your heart far from the Lord this morning? Are you just honoring the Lord with your lips? Are you just giving him lip service? Or this morning, are you being real and honest with the Lord? Is your heart a place where the Lord can do work? Goes on. Jesus goes on and, and it says in, in Matthew 15, he says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So often we want to think about what people say, or we want to look at their actions, but really their actions and their words just demonstrate what is deep in their heart. And so that's where I want to always ask the question, what is in our hearts? Are our hearts soft towards the Lord? And this morning, using one passage out of Luke 7, I want to ask a question. I want to ask a question, and I want to just invite us into a life that... Um, that, that looks differently than maybe we expect. A life that is completely surrendered to Jesus. So let's look at uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 this morning. We're going to see in here somebody gets the attention of Jesus, causes his head to turn. And I've always been thinking about, I want to get Jesus' attention. I want to see his head turn. I think a couple months ago, I was talking about the blind man named Bartimaeus, and this crowd was going by, and, and they're all following Jesus, and this blind man on the side yells out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me, and Jesus stops. And the crowd is like, be quiet. But the blind man shouted all the more and had this conversation with Jesus. I always want to be a man. I want to be a people who get Jesus' Jesus's attention. And so what does it take? Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. You notice that he said to himself, he didn't say that out loud, if this man were a prophet. Look at what Jesus said next. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, demonstrating he's a prophet. He can kind of see what's going on. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Well, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. hair, her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she had not stopped kissing me, kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins... And they are many, see, he knew what she had done, have been forgiven. 
So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around and forgives forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this is an interesting um, story. It's a story that is found in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's hard to pick just one to read, and I just read the one out of Luke 7, and I encourage you to read the ones in the other uh, Gospels, but I'm going to pull some things from, from each account. But here we see this picture of a Pharisee inviting Jesus into his house. Now, we don't know why he invited Jesus into his house. We didn't know if he had questions. We didn't know if he was, he was curious about who Jesus was. We didn't know if he wanted to, to probe into uh, some things that Jesus was saying. We don't even know if uh, he was trying to trap him because right before, there was some frustration that was arising among the Pharisees towards Jesus. And so Jesus was invited to this Pharisee's house. And the cool thing is Jesus went. Jesus went into the home. It just demonstrates his heart for all. He went into this Pharisee's home, into this house filled with religion, and he was like, okay, his heart is, is for this man. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of dinner, this woman comes barging in. A woman who was known as an immoral woman, a woman of the, the city, a woman who had lived a sinful life and heard that Jesus was, was eating there, and she just comes crashing in and starts pouring out oil on him. Now, oil in that day, the oil that she used was rare. It was expensive. It was, other accounts said it was a perfume. It was used for medicine. Oil was used to fuel lamps to give light, was used on food, was used as an offering, uh, was used as money, as currency, and she just lavishly pours this out on Jesus, anointing him. Oil also represented the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, also was used to anoint kings. And here she is, weeping, pouring this oil, weeping and using those tears, which is a lot of tears, to wipe his feet, to wash his feet and to wash his hands and uh, other, you know, wash his head and everything. Like imagine that scene. This woman comes crashing in and she not only isn't invited, she's making a scene and she's crying and it's not just a few tears that's coming down her cheek. It's that like, have you seen those people who are like, it's that snot crying, like they're just weeping. Like, it's that type of picture. She is just pouring out her heart on Jesus. Imagine being in that room. What would your response be? How would you respond? Like, who is this woman? This is socially awkward. What is, what is she doing? And we see that there's two responses. The first response was that of Simon, who says, don't you know who this woman is? Don't you know she's an immoral woman? She is a sinner. Jesus, what are you, are you doing? There is this fear, this religious response that, uh, that, that her acts would rub off on, on him, and then all of a sudden he would be unclean. And so he is just protecting himself and his own position before God. And so he has this religious response. But then also in other accounts, the disciples, it says that they are indignant, they're disturbed, they're frustrated, they're angry. Like, why is she pouring out this perfume on Jesus? It could be sold and given to the poor. And so there's these two religious responses. And Jesus speaks up. And he says to Simon, who interestingly, in other accounts, is known as Simon the leper. And so he was healed from leprosy. 
And he totally misses the gift that was given to him, and he's being uh, judgmental on this woman. And Jesus says, you, Simon, didn't even wash my feet, which was the minimum requirement to show hospitality to somebody who came into your house. Simon, you didn't even show the minimum requirement, but this woman came in, and she washed my feet, she washed my hair, she anointed me with this oil. And Jesus' head turns. I want to just look at the example of this woman for just a second this morning. Here she had this expensive perfume. It was very costly. It's about a year's worth of her wages. Probably, I'm guessing, probably it was all that she had, everything that she owned. And she poured it out on the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, just filled with great love, filled with gratitude. This, as we look at this, is just such a pure act of worship. It's real. It's raw. Her heart is just pouring out in front of Jesus. As I look at her example, I ask this question, what is your alabaster jar? She took this perfume, this alabaster jar, and she poured it out on Jesus. This thing that was was so costly, she poured it out on Jesus. She was willing to give whatever it took to express her love to Jesus. It was extremely costly. Is our worship, and I'm including myself in all of this, is our worship of Jesus casual or is it costly? I want just to put that question up on the screen. Is our worship of Jesus casual or costly? Is your worship casual? Is your approach to Jesus just just casual? Like as Mike talks about these men in prison and they would do anything to see their kids and then you take that and you multiply it times a million and that's the heart that the Father has towards all of us in this room, so much so that he would send his son Jesus to die for us. Is our response to that amazing gift of salvation, is our response to be casual or is it to be costly? What does costly worship look like? Because really, are we supposed to go grab some oil and start flinging around this building like the woman? Is that costly worship? What is costly to you in regards to worship? It could be financial. Could be all of our life is is to be given as an offering to the Lord, and maybe you've been uh, blessed uh, financially, or maybe you know you haven't seen, you haven't come to the realization that all you have is from the Lord, and and maybe it's like okay, from a financial standpoint, maybe it is costly to say, all right, Lord, everything I have is yours. But I believe it's deeper than that because it has to go to the heart. Could it be costly worship? Could it be physical? could be like, ah, maybe I need to, to raise my hands or to, to have some sort of physical expression of worship. I think there's all different postures all throughout Scripture when it comes to a physical expression of worship, but I believe it goes deeper than that. Is your worship casual or costly? I believe one of the greatest ways we can live out this costly form of worship is through a willingness to sacrifice our reputation and appearance when it comes to responding to Jesus and his great love for us. I think about this woman. She didn't care about her appearance. She didn't care about her reputation. She somehow had heard about Jesus, and she was, she was forgiven. She was willing to do whatever it took. She didn't care what people thought. 
And honestly, I think this is a big one for us here in West Michigan because we think like, well, what if I worship that way? What if I follow this woman's example? Then people are going to look at me and say, you know what? They're weird. What if we stand out? What if we look different? You know what's weird? You know what's really weird? Is when we think about the gospel and we think about all that God did for us and the, the, the lengths that he went to to save us, to reconcile us to himself, you know what's weird is for our response just to have hands in pockets and be like, no, thank you. I'm going to live my normal life. No, what we see in Luke 7 should be a normal response to being so gripped by the love of Jesus that we're willing to pour out every aspect of our life before Jesus. Romans 12 says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. All of life is to be lived in worship. What does it look like for you to live out a costly form of worship, giving Jesus everything in your life? If you think about it this way, was Jesus' sacrifice costly or was it casual? He just, just, he just casually walk to earth and be like, okay, I'll just do this. No, it cost him his life. Our response shouldn't be anything less. But what this takes, it's for us to sacrifice our pride, to humble ourselves, to get low, and to say, I don't care about what I look like. All I care about, Jesus, is you getting the adoration that you deserve. This won't be popular. This won't all of a sudden gain a bunch of relationships in your life. You might lose some relationships. But Jesus is so, so worth it. You know, no one thought it was right for this woman to do what she did. There was outrage. There was gas. There was like, oh, that's a lot of money. No one thought that it was right except Jesus. He was moved by it. It turned his head. And this is what he said in Matthew 26, verse 13. He said, I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Imagine what people thought. Like this? This gets remembered? I want my life to get remembered. No, her action gets remembered. A normal life fades. This type of extravagant worship gets remembered and people take notice. And I want all of us to live that way. What would it look like if our worship looked like that? in every aspect of our lives, just not only here in this space, but Monday through Sunday. I want to end with John 12, verse 3. It says, as this happened, the house was filled with, with the fragrance. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume that was poured out. What filled the room wasn't the frustrations of the people who were there present. Her worship filled the room, overtook all of those frustrations. Her worship just filled that space. That's the vision of worship that I have for this space, is that our extravagant worship would flood this place, and people would take notice, continue to take notice, because we're so gripped by the love of Jesus. Has your love for Jesus grown cold? Has your heart grown cold? And ask the Lord to ignite that love in you, the love a deep love, an extravagant love for his son Jesus that gave everything for you. I want to pray, and then we're going to sing one song to, to close out.
Lord, like David says in Psalm 139, we invite you to examine our hearts. Would you search our hearts? Would you remove anything that is not of you? Would you kindle in us just a a fresh fire for your son Jesus? Would you remind us of the the lengths that that, that your son Jesus went um, through so that we can be reconciled to you, Father? Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Give us a heart that is just so, so in love with you, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.